the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. America's at war right now. We, we forget this. Uh, we don't, for many of us, we, we, we're not aware of it. It's kind of silently going on in the background. We don't feel the pain of it because we either don't know anybody who's serving or, you know, we, we don't do things like aluminum and tire drives and there, there isn't meat and sugar rationing. So we're not really aware of the sacrifice that's involved in military duty. But for those military families in America, hundreds of thousands of them, they know what it's like each and every single day. And we thought we'd spend some time just kind of educating all of us on, on what they go through and the amazing sacrifice, not just on the battlefield, but even back at home, uh, on the home front, uh, with a mother or a father or both sometimes and kids that, that, are, that are at home, kind of keeping the, the, the home fires burning, so to speak, while mom or dad are overseas uh, in, in service to our country. Joining me now is Lieutenant Colonel Tony Monetti. Um, he, with his wife Peggy, Penny, rather, are uh, authors of a new book called Call to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. And uh, Lieutenant Bonetti and Penny, great to have both of you with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Great to be on board. We were we were trying to debate uh, ahead of the conversation today, uh, Tony. Um, short for your position, is it lieutenant? Is it colonel? Or 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 would military decorum insist to be lieutenant uh, colonel? Call me Tony, but I'm a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. In the Air Force, okay. But typically, there's no way to really truncate that, is there? No, not really. Lieutenant Colonel. Lieutenant Colonel. We'll go with Tony. I like that. Tony's it's easier. Fine, man. <laughs> I'm Talk- originally from Brooklyn, New York, so you know. Um, Tony makes me feel like I'm back home. There you go. All right. Well, well, Tony, talk to us a bit first, if you would, about the reality check here that a lot of, I think, families who are beginning the experience of military duty, they might either be newly married or newly into the military, and even for the rest of us out there that really don't understand what your families go through. Yeah, for those of you that are just joining uh, the military and for those of you who have no clue on what it's like to be in the military, um, I'm glad to talk to you a little bit about Call to Serve and, and what it's like. Uh, I've had the privilege to serve in America for almost 24 years now as an officer in the United States Air Force, and uh, I can just tell you that it's a privilege and an honor to be part of the military. Um, but it's also really exciting and uh, lo- you know, lots of new changes every day uh, as far as, you know, what you may or may not be doing. I mean, I've, I've been called to serve and, and gone overseas on moment's notice, and next thing I know I'm in a foreign country, and, and, and it's exciting. But there's also a lot of transitions and challenges that we have to uh, uh, take part of, especially for our families, and that's and I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, you know, for example, my oldest son, Nico, who right now just graduated from Chapman from in L.A., uh, he he went to three different high schools, you know, in, in three years. And for those of us that have been to high school, you know how tough it is 
to move once and to let alone three times. So yeah, you know, it, it take, gets them getting used to lots of moves, lots of transitions. But overall, uh, we have a heart for service to America, and, and we just find it it's a privilege and an honor to serve her. It was interesting because some of us on the outside that that are not involved in active military duty or perhaps have never been a part of a military family uh, see the excitement, the glamour, you know, that you're traveling and you're doing all of this. And, and, you know, and a lot of it, no doubt, is born out of the television ads that we see, you know, the recruitment ads and so forth, but not really realizing that there's a backside story to this. That is difficult, that is painful at times, that certainly is, is challenging. I guess when you get on the backside of it, uh, a lot of those, those initially painful and frustrating moments turn into, into, into joyful ones on the backside. I, uh, Penny, yeah. I had to laugh in, in reading your story. Uh, you got uh, to talking about um, when you guys were called to uh, uh, Vicenza in, in northeast Italy, and you're... <laughs> Your initial experiences there, um, which I don't know if you're Let ba- me go home to yeah. America. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Obviously, Tony's background is Italian. Is your, are you of Italian descent as well? No, I'm not. And I, I thought I knew Italian until I put my feet on foreign soil in Italy and realized how fast they talk. So <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, it, it was such an eye-opening experience going to another country. And I... I wish everybody in the in America has the experience of living in another country at least for a, a month to to realize um, how great it is in America. But when when we went there, uh, our initial, you know, when we first landed there, the um, I, I tell the story about being in uh, at a fountain and uh, hearing the the kerplunks and the of coins going into a fountain. And as I toss my coins and I make sure they missed because the legend of the Trevi Fountain is that when you throw the coin into the fountain, you'll return to you'll Rome. You'll return. That's right, and, yeah. And at that point, there was nothing I wanted more than to be back home in America. And, uh, but as I, as I experienced Italy and I learned the culture, um, and this was after a, a, a very uh, <laughs> interesting first, first month because my husband was hospitalized and had to undergo surgery. And so during that time, I, had, I was on my own with the kids to find an apartment, not speaking the language, and going through a lot of the, um, you know, trying to get through Italy and the driving and all of the, you know, things that you have to get through in a new country. And we weren't really affiliated with the base. We were an hour and 20 minutes away from a base. So, so you really didn't have the support necessarily there of, of the fellow, you know, uh, a, military personnel. You're in a strange country. Um, and, and, and I have to admit, we Italians can be sometimes a little bit nerve-wracking. Uh, the, the stories you share of your, your first meeting with your, with your downstairs neighbor were particularly encouraging. Well, you know, after being cooped up in a hotel for a month with three kids and a dog, and, um, and Tony was still on bed rest, we moved over to finally finding a, an apartment with a kitchen because you can't find one in Italy that has a kitchen because everybody takes them when they move. And we finally found one with a kitchen, and as we were moving in and the kids were getting ready to go to the pool because I, they, I bribed them with a, going to the pool after we unpacked, and uh, I heard a knock on the door, and as I went to the door, a beautiful middle-aged woman came to the door and uh, I thought, God, this is wonderful. We've got Italian hospitality right off the bat. They're going to welcome me. <laughs> and she said, in broken English, she said, she said, how long do you plan on being here? 
And I said, well, maybe two years. And she said, well, I cannot have all of this noise on my head for two years. I, I, I want you to stop. And, and, she was, and she said something in Italian that I'm sure was not very nice, and she stormed out the door. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is, this is my first experience with our neighbors. So we were a little bit, I was a little bit frazzled, and so I took the kids to the pool. And as I went to the pool, I sat down on a chair and, and it, found one that wasn't populated. It was, a, you know, there was a very crowded. And I sat down, and the whole chair busted. And, and I saw the Tatiana was the lady downstairs. I saw her smirking with another woman, and I could tell, even in another language, they were probably talking about me. And uh, then a, a, an Adonis-looking man came over to my chair, and he said in broken English, these chairs belong to people here. You're going to need, you know, this is not, you're going to have to take care of the expense for this chair. And, and so... I decided, okay, it's time for me to go back to the apartment. And as I went back, I realized because I was frazzled, I locked the, the keys into the house. And uh, so I called my husband. He called the landlady and explained to him in Ita her in Italian that, you know, what had happened. And so uh, she said she would come right over in three hours. <laughs> and <laughs> so you're lucky yeah, it was that it, you're lucky it was that quickly. <laughs> you're right. Usually it's Domani. We learned that Domani, Domani, Italian. <laughs> but uh, anyway, she came over three hours and twenty minutes later to find us sunburned and thirsty, and and uh, I I explained to her in in English, and even though she didn't understand a word, she under she empathized with me and gave me a big hug, and from then on I learned that um, that the Italian culture, uh, I, we learn to embrace it. And instead of being afraid of another country, we learn to, um, to, to really embrace their, their values and their culture and ended up having a, just a beautiful experience where at the end of my story, I'm back at Trevi Fountains and I'm throwing loads of coins in because I didn't want to leave. This I considered home. So... It's all, it's all in the, the what you make of it. And, and along the way, I'm sure, you, if, if not learning literally how to speak the language, you know, if you know how to use your hands in the right places <laughs> at the right time, you know, that, that, that's the that's best way correct. to communicate. My, my father has a great joke. He says, you know how to make an Italian shut up? Tie his hands behind his back. <laughs> that's that's, I, how, that's I, how I silence my husband. You're I, right. I, I can say that because I'm Italian. We're going to take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. With us tonight, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Monetti, along with his wife, Penny. The book is called Called to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. And, and the new book, by the way, published by Discovery House. You can find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Amazon.com. We'll come back with some more insights as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And with Lieutenant Colonel Tony Minetti from the United States Air Force, along with his wife Penny, we're talking about a new book called Called to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. You know, as much as we, I got such a big kick out of your, your experiences there, um, Penny, in Vicenza, the notion that for a lot of families, this is a sad story, this is a tough thing. There are some wives out there that say, you know, when... When I met my spouse, he wasn't in the military, or if he was, I don't know that I fully understood this, and he's the one who enlisted, not me, and all of a sudden we're now kind of all in this thing together. It, it really is a team effort. You can't do it uh, one person. And that's one thing that I, I've realized with most spouses 
is that they understand that in, they're serving their country also by supporting their spouse on the home front while they're away on the battlefront. See, if there's any message we could communicate to those eavesdropping on our conversation tonight that think of the one who was in service to God and country in the military as singularly the individual who, you know, carries the the epilepsy or the, the, the you know, the, the military regalia or, or what have you. It's not just them. Literally, the families are in service as well, aren't they? Yeah, you, you really are. And the one thing that I would leave with spouses that's so important while their warriors are serving abroad is not to isolate themselves, to stay connected with family members, with their churches, with their uh, community and the military. Because once you become isolated, and, and the Bible verse comes to mind of 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert, your enemy prowls around like the roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The lion, when he hunts, he separates the, the prey from the pack. And that's what the devil does with, with any of us in our lives, that when he wants to attack is he separates us from those who give us the most strength. And sticking with, uh, you know, with your, your accountability partners, with um, good friends, that helps. And that's the same goes with the warriors that are serving overseas that they surround themselves with a good, strong community of friends and uh, positive influences and stay in the word, that is, that is what the, you know, the best thing to do. Tony, does that also give you a sense of peace of mind as well? Because let's face it, you're, you're out there, you're, right now you're flying the, the B-2 stealth bomber, you're going on missions and, and sorties and so forth. Uh, does it give you a greater sense of of peace as you're about this very stressful, critically important job to know that things are being taken care of at home? Well, without question, every every warrior that, that deploys overseas is more at peace and able to focus on the mission when they know that uh, their families are being taken care of. And I can, I can tell you that our government and our Department of Defense does a great job in uh, supporting our families, giving them good medical treatment, you know, giving them good security and housing. I mean, there's no other greater country than, than America on this planet, and and it's nice to know that that our our uh, government, our our, our military is taking care of our families. But more importantly, like Penny was alluding to, uh, it it starts with the home. As far as you, as a as a warrior, explaining to your wife and children and being honest with them that there's there's a possibility you may deploy at any moment, and so it's, you know have your will done, power of attorney. Have the, the lines of communication open so that they know that they can rely on talking to you if and when possible. But more importantly, that to know that they're they're a strong family unit, so that when you leave, they're going to be taken care of because they're strong. Absolutely. Any any words of advice that you can share? Uh, and let me start, Tony, first with you. Um, for those listening right now that are not in the military. Um, you know, you're, you're doing your duty. I think we as Americans have a duty to you uh, to help support you. What 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 should we who are, are, are in the civilian end of this, uh, how can we better support you guys and, and most importantly, your families, too? I think uh, that's a great question, uh, Craig. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that, you know, when we're in uniform, people see us either at the airport or, or even just uh, in town, that they say thanks for serving. I know that sounds cliche-ish, but just the, uh, knowing that you care and you're appreciated is great. And I, I can also say that if there's business people out there, um, I know times are tough. 
but if you offer some sort of military appreciation, uh, whatever that may be, it, it just, it's just special. My son just enlisted in the Army uh, a few weeks ago, decided to go in. And wait a minute, wait a minute. The, the Army? You're in the Air Force. Hang I on know, a minute here. What happened, Tony? I don't even let me go in. What happened? He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, always wanted to be a G.I. Joe, you know? It's okay. But, both, uh, both of my grandfathers were in the Navy. What does my father really? do? He joins the Marines. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got a true joint force now. But, when my, but my, what I was getting at was Antonio uh, joined the military. They gave him an ID card. He starts training here soon. And um, and he went to a store and they, they they gave him a military discount like ten percent off and he goes wow dad that's really cool that they appreciate me I go yeah you see that son I go it's just their way of saying thanks so I would say to the listeners out there um, that that there's that's one of the things you can do uh, another thing that's that that you can do if you go to calltheserveministry.com we literally have pages of information of and Penny and I have researched of almost I would say almost about a hundred different organizations that. Are supporting the military, and so if you're interested in getting involved in connecting with these with these organizations, so that you can connect with warriors overseas, that's another great thing you can do. Of course, there's a, there's letters of encouragement you can write. When I was overseas, I would get letters from kids saying thanks for serving America. I mean, that, that meant so much to me. I still have those letters, the boxes, down the basement, and that because it just meant a lot to me, you know. Yeah, and and supporting organizations like the USO and so forth. Absolutely, yes, sir. No doubt about it. And, and Penny, from your perspective, uh, same question? Well, I I would definitely say for those families that are on the home front and maybe there's someone you go to church with or you know of, um, reaching out to them, just uh, offering them to babysit once in a while. They don't realize that, you know, you don't really get a break uh, often because you're away from family in most cases. And your husband is usually the break that you, or your, or your wife, if it's a vice versa, is the break that you get when uh, to to get out. So just offering to babysit or having someone come over and mow a yard, or maybe you know a child that is their parent is deployed and going to their baseball game and taking them out for ice cream afterwards because their parent's not there. It just shows them so much that that just that they're cared about, and it gives that warrior on the on the battlefront just. A, a sense of peace knowing that his family is being taken care Absolutely. of. Absolutely. Well, I love what you guys are doing. Again, we want to urge folks, uh, you can get educated by getting a copy of this new book, Called to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. Get more details, too, about this ministry, how you can get involved in making a difference and helping to support those in service to our nation through calledtoserveministry.com. That's calledtoserveministry.com. Dot com And our appreciation out to uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tony Manetti and his wife, Penny. Uh, uh, Tony, one thought. When, when, you, when you talk to Antonio next, you just got to say, you know, kid, you joined the Army. Why walk when you can fly? <laughs> I love it. I promise you. I'll ask. I'll, I'll you got to say that. You know, you. Army's okay, but why walk when you can fly? Yeah, I, I don't understand it for the life of me. But, you know, uh, I, I'm happy that he chose to to defend America and be part of our military service. Well, we, we, we are we are privileged to have great men like you serving our nation. Thank you so much for yes, the sir. duty that you do. Penny, thank you for the sacrifice that you make in supporting uh, Tony in the job that he does for our nation. And uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. God bless you. All right. Thank take care you. now. God bless. Ciao. All right. Ciao. As we say in Italian, si vediamo pronto. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
With the market crash of 2008 and the recent market volatility over the last several years, along with Fed threats to increase interest rates, the fluctuation of oil prices and inflation, many consumers are worried, and understandably so. Whether you're six months, six years, or even 26 years away from retirement, the big concern is, will you have enough? Certainly most folks have looked to traditional 401k programs or IRAs. The notion of a pension plan like mom and dad or grandpa and grandma had is simply a thing of the past. But what about the 401k with concerns about choices available to you and most importantly, whether or not you're going to eat up all the profits through paying fees, it seems as if you need to do something more. With some insights, we're joined now by David Mitchell. David is the host of The Word on Investing, heard weekday afternoons at 12.30 p.m. right here on KFAX. And David, a delight to have you with us. Great to be here today. You've got a very interesting background that I think uh, uniquely qualifies you to address some of these questions and, and certainly concerns that all of us have about money and retirement planning and investing. You've got a background with an earned degree from uh, Baylor University. You've been president of an oil company. Uh, you founded, I think inter- listeners will find this interesting, you founded along with your dad the Van Zorin Pipe Organ Company of Portland, Oregon, most notably here in California, the beautiful pipe organ that was installed down at Crystal Cathedral in Southern California. Uh, You've been popular as a spokesperson, uh, visiting and making presentations about money and investing around the country. And of course, you also serve as senior pastor of Park Meadows Church in Texas. Where do you find time for all of this? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. I I think uh, when everything develops slowly over a long period of years, you just just get used to it. Understandably uh, you have so. To be a very, pretty good time manager, but uh, I guess maybe the the biggest key is you got to work two eight hour days with a nap in between. That kind of does the trick. Yeah, I got it. Or or just work half a day, put in a twelve hour day, as we said. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Now that said, you know a lot of folks are thinking about, gee, will that be me someday? Am I going to have to put in a half day or a twelve hour day in order to make ends meet? The notion of people that uh, reach retirement age and willingly decide, you know, I'm I'm not ready to hang it up yet. I love having a place to go every day. My wife loves me in some cases getting out of the house every day. So if you choose to be a greeter at Walmart because this is something you love doing, I think that's a great thing. But what about the 70 or 80-year-old who, frankly, is tired? Maybe the health has not been all that good, and they find themselves forced to continue to working, maybe in a job they don't even enjoy, simply trying to make ends meet. Yeah, yeah, that's so much much the trouble in our uh, economy. We've gone We've gone well over a decade without the middle class receiving raises, really. The, of course, inflation's been low, but, but still, when you go that long, you, you expect to, to be gaining on it, and really the middle class hasn't, and our, our current president, of course, promised to be the president of the middle class, and really all that's happened is the middle class has gone down, and the wealthy and the big banks have, have gained wealth uh, through this administration. So what, what, you know, what do you do? Well, you know, we have... I think a great solution. I, I, uh, you told a little bit about my background a while ago, but I've, I'm a fourth-generation family businessman. My great-grandfather got us in the oil business years ago. And when, when that happens, uh, my grandfather had the great problem of having to figure out what to do with a lot of extra money hanging around. So he became a really good stock trader, and uh, also in the bond market back in those days. And so he taught me those skill sets from the time I was about eight years old all the way up to college. I 
sat at his knee, uh, worked his cattle on his ranch, but also learned how to be a good stock trader. And uh, that's not something you can really, you're not going to learn that in the business school or even at the graduate level. Uh, they're basically going to teach you to work for a higher boss. It's not so much entrepreneurial. And so uh, one thing we do, we do seminars around the country where we encourage people to consider going back to the old idea in America of developing a family business where you can pass down skill sets from generation to generation so that each generation has a competitive edge over other people because of those skill sets they learn from their dad and their grandfather and so forth. And we teach people how to do that with a stock trading business, and we teach those skill sets that my grandfather taught me um, in the stock market. It's, it's kind of interesting because I was sitting there in graduate school one day, uh, and my QA teacher was talking about how the only way to make money in the stock market is through uh, holding, buying and holding for long periods of time. And I'm sitting here saying, and, and he says it's completely mathematically impossible to do it any other way. And while he's saying that, my grandfather's 40 miles away uh, in, in our hometown making millions of dollars in the stock market doing exactly what the QA professor said you can't do. Well, you know, the irony was, I think back yeah. in the day, and we're going back 30, 40 years ago, it wasn't altogether impossible if you bought some railroad stock or maybe utility stock. I mean, our grandparents did that and were fairly successful holding that on to a lifetime and then uh, living off of the dividends. But that just, the, the market doesn't trend and doesn't flow that any, that way anymore. And so suddenly we've, we've shifted from this uh, this mentality of buying one or two stocks and being able to retire off of it to what a lot of people consider, is, as you suggest, the, the buy and hold approach that we just kind of hang on with white knuckles that it's going to move in our favor. That seems to be, in my opinion, more of a hold and hope for the best sort of <laughs> approach. Well, that, you know, that's a pretty good way to put it. Uh, well, you know, if you, if you take a look at a chart of the S&P, or really if you want to go back for, further, go use the Dow, and you'll see that if you go from around the time of the Great Depression up until around 1985 or something in there, you, you did. You had a gradual, uh, very slow up curve, and that did lend itself towards buy and hold. But when you get into 1985 uh, up till now, you see a lot of up and down movement with some pretty big bear markets in there and then, uh, you know, a correction that may last six to, to nine months, and all of a sudden a new bull market starts. And it's just, uh, it vacillates up and down a lot more. So it really does lend itself more to shorter positions. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that I try to teach people, and really I, I've not heard anyone else say this, and I don't know why they don't say it. I, I don't really understand why it's not common knowledge, but it isn't. And that is that you one cannot create wealth through investing. And that may even say, seem odd to hear me say that, but it's true. You don't create wealth through investing. In fact, investing is for those who are already wealthy. The way you create wealth is through trading. And so let me give you an example. If you had an oil painting that your grandmom gave you and, uh, before she passed away or something, and let's say it's worth $200,000 and it's just sitting there on your wall, and you keep that your whole life and you die, what are your kids going to do? They're going to take it down, sell it, and buy some really nice toys with it, probably cars or something. <clears throat> and, and so that investment didn't do anything to create wealth for you. However, if you had taken that oil painting and 
sold it for maybe 250000 and then take that money and buy two nice paintings for 100000 apiece and keep them six months and mark them up to 175000 each and sell those and then do that again and again. You're now trading oil paintings and making a profit every time you do it, and you can actually create wealth that way. And that's true of anything. I mean, you could trade cars. You, you could... You could create a tennis shoe factory and take raw materials and add value to them and sell them for a profit and trade tennis shoes. But whatever you trade, do, you have to create wealth. You have to do it by trading something. So we teach people how not only to invest, uh, buy and hold style. There are appropriate times to do that, but also how to trade with shorter-term trades. And we're not talking about day trading. I don't believe that's the way to go for the average person. But, uh, but uh, we're talking about trades that may last anywhere from two to three weeks to six months, something like that. And uh, you, you pretty much let the stock determine how long the trade lasts, and we teach people how to do that through a thing called technical analysis. But uh, this is the way to create wealth. And the great news is that if you are a person where your financial advisor lost 35% of your money in 2008 and you're older and you don't think you have time to ever make it back, you don't have time through their methods. But through trading, you can, and you can make that back and recover it, and, and that gives hope to so many people. If you've just joined our conversation, our visit today with Pastor David Mitchell, he's host of The Word on Investing. The broadcast comes your way Monday through Friday at 12.30 p.m. right here on KFAX. We're talking about proper retirement planning. We're talking about ways in which you can grow your wealth and prepare for your financial future. At the end of the day, you know, sadly, less than half of Americans have even thought about seriously setting money aside for retirement. In fact, some recent surveys indicate that, on average, most Americans have only $25,000 set aside. When you consider the fact that a intensive long-term care scenario may cost you perhaps as much as, if you require nursing care, $2,300 per day, you see the twenty-five grand will keep you in the hospital for about 10 days, and that's it. So what do you do? How do you plan for the future and do it in a fashion where you can literally get ahead of the curve so you can retire on your own terms? Well, that's what we're talking about today with Pastor David Mitchell. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to the conversation. Craig Roberts along with Pastor David Mitchell. He is the host of The Word on Investing, heard Monday through Friday at 12.30 p.m. right here on KFAX. We mentioned that uh, David has his earned degree in business from Baylor University. He founded and managed together with his father the Van Zoren Pipe Organ Company of Portland, Oregon, to us here in California, best known as the organ that's installed at Crystal Cathedral. David has spoken to business schools across the country and has helped thousands of people across the country learn how to increase their cash flow through investment seminars. In fact, he's going to be in town for a special seminar on May 1st and 2nd. We'll share more details with you on that. Meanwhile, good time to perhaps make a note in your calendar regarding that upcoming seminar with David Mitchell here in the San Francisco Bay Area. That's going to be at the San Jose Marriott Hotel. Again, details to follow in a moment. David, let's come back for a full circle to this notion that people here, well, day trading, things of that sort. We knew people that did that back prior to 
2008 and maybe lost all of their savings as a result because they engaged in perhaps a far more aggressive trading or speculation than they really had the skills or experience to do so. I think people understand that there's money to be made through Wall Street. The question is, just how much kind of risk do I want to take? Well, we advocate that you not take more than 20%, 10 to 20% of your your total uh, life's savings, everything you have uh, that's liquid, not more than 10 or 20% of that to trade with. And we call what we call the 80%, you're going to put in more of a long-term uh, position. But here's the thing. If you give that into the hands of someone else to do, they don't care about your money as much as you don't. don't care who they are. They do not care about it as much as you. And the reason you give that to a person who may well have studied for two weeks and taken a test and become a financial advisor, I'm not saying they're all like that, but they may well be like that, and you give them all of your hard-earned money, you know, and the reason people do it is they feel like they don't have the skill sets like you mentioned. But here's the thing is, is that it is just skill sets, which means you can learn them. And so we go around the country and teach these to people. We've got about 13,000 students now. We're really pushing 14,000 now. And we're the fastest-growing stock market educational company in the world. And about 200 of those, at least, we're right at around a little plus on 200 out of those, have fired their boss, and they make their full-time income through stock trading after having gone through our system. So... So we've got a lot of people who are changing their lives. And, you know, the, the thing about it is if you, if you keep our rules, you will be safe. Number one, because you're learning the skill sets. You learn how to stop it out if it's going the wrong way. You don't let it lose everything. You lose maybe 10%, 12% on, on a play that goes the wrong way. And when it goes the right way, you make 30% or more. So you can do the math there. But obviously you don't have to get but about 6 out of 10 of them right to make money if you keep the rules. And you need to know the skill sets and the rules. But the other thing is you're only trading with maybe 10 to 20 percent of your total money anyway. So you're not putting all of it at this higher risk. It is true. Uh, I think God put into the universe a concept just as sure as gravity. I call it the risk-return trade-off. You'll learn that in any business school, but I'm not sure they give God credit for it, but I will. But he put that principle into the universe, and it's it's a law. It's a, a law of economics. And and finance, and you just can't get around it. So if you want to, to generate a lot of wealth out of a, a relatively small amount and you want to do it in your lifetime, you have to take higher risk with some of it or you'll never do it. Well, the irony is we see this right out of Scripture. Look at the parable of the, of the talent and the sower. And you know, the lesson that is learned there, uh, the one that, that was not willing to take any risk whatsoever, buried in the ground. And yeah, the good news is he didn't lose any of the principal for the owner, but the owner very, wasn't very pleased when he came back. Essentially, that opportunity had been squandered. I think a lot of people are, are raised on kind of the old Protestant work ethic, David, that we, we believe that it's important to go out and, and make an living or earn a living. We understand that he who does not work shall not eat. That's a scriptural principle as well. So there's this notion that, well, I just have to go out and have a job. And if I have a job and I do my due diligence and I show up dutifully, that everything will work out. The, the irony, of course, is that we're finding that the the uniquely 20th century phenomenon of retirement that really our, our great-grandfathers and great-great-grandparents never knew anything of, they basically worked till they died, 
that that this is something for which, while it came into fruition in the 20th century, we're discovering in the 21st century, it takes a lot more. The idea of being able to retire with uh, the mortgage paid off and, and no outstanding obligations, and you could simply live day to day on a Social Security check, that's, that's kind of a novelty. So you really have to be far more intuitive and I, and I think perhaps more strategic when it comes to retirement planning, don't you? Well, absolutely, and the, the thing is, we've lost the secret in this country. We used to have it, and we've lost it, but the people in the Far East and Middle East have not. They still understand this, that, that they will, yes, a job is honorable, and they will get a job, but they're going to lay aside some money every week. Every two weeks when they get paid, they lay money aside, and then after a decade, they've got enough to buy a business, and, and so then they own a business and the only way you can create wealth, there's only one way listed in the whole Word of God, and it's in that particular parable that you mentioned, by the way. It's in the parable of the talents. And if you remember the, uh, the gentleman who buried it, and he got rebuked and punished, and, and what, he, what little he had was taken away from him and given to the most productive person. And when, when the landowner asked him, why did you do what you did, he said two reasons. One is you're, have an aus- you're an austere man. In other words, he just had a, a mean-looking face. He was afraid of him. But the second reason was, he said, because you reap where you sowed not. Now, there is the great principle of wealth creation in the universe right there that God, the creator of the universe, put in the Bible. And it's called financial leverage. He reaped where he sowed not. In other words, he reaped a harvest. Uh, that was much larger than if he had used his own eight hours a day and sown the seeds himself. He had many, many other people sowing seeds, and he was paying them uh, a fair salary. But they weren't going to get wealthy with that salary, and neither will you, my friend. But that landowner did because he earned profits off the efforts of thousands of man hours. That is the only secret to wealth God ever revealed to us. And and, and yet it works, and there are many ways to do it. But we, we teach people to leverage the brain power and the money and the systems that those, the people on Wall Street create. So you can leverage thousands of people that are working there every day, and they love money so much they're really, really good at it. They may be on their third wife and their kids hate them, but they're great at money. And if you can just leverage what they're doing, you don't have to give up your time with your family and, and that relationship with your spouse. You can have an even better one because you create some time freedom, but you can leverage what they're doing. So you, you, can't, you cannot create wealth through trading your uh, hours, which are infinitely valuable, for a little bit of someone else's money. It just won't work. You, you've got to create leverage through through uh, earning off the efforts of other people. So I think the easiest way to do it for a person who has not uh, a whole lot of money to invest, if you don't have a lot to invest, is through the stock market because you can open an account with any brokerage, online brokerage account for no, no money. And once you get it open, you could wire 500 bucks, uh, 1200 bucks, 2000 bucks, and start right there. And with our methods, you can get some leverage because we'll teach you also how to trade in the options market where every dollar is worth about $7, maybe in some cases $14. And you're not even supposed to know how to do that. Only bankers can do that. Only senators can do that. Only the wealthy can do that. But, but really, you have the ability to do it. You just didn't know it. And we teach you those skill sets. So therefore, you can create, you can get the leverage that you need 
to turn what you have into larger amounts relatively quickly. The broadcast, The Word on Investing, weekday afternoons at 1230, hosted by Pastor David Mitchell right here on KFAX. David, our time is up, but it's been a delight and an education to visit with you. Again, details on the web. Check out nvals.com or call toll-free 877-907-TRADE. That's 877-907-TRADE. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.